Sherelle McMahon with you and of course Bianca Chatfield is alongside me as we've had round two of Suncorp Super Netball under our belt. One week almost of stage four lockdown in Melbourne. Done B, how have you found the last week since I've spoken to you? How have you coped with stage four lockdown? Well I'm starting at the moment Sherelle so that's actually keeping me very entertained. I don't really have a lot of time um, on my hands um, but I certainly am finding myself looking forward to Saturday and Sundays where I can watch the netball I, like more than I ever have before. Um, it's been really great sitting down and being able to watch it um, and the highlight for me has to be, be the Adelaide Thunderbirds from the weekend. Vixens yes, were how brilliant. Good were they? But the, I expected that. The Adelaide Thunderbirds, I just did not know what to make of their lineup, what we were going to see from them this year. And, yeah, I just was super impressed with how they were playing, the way they came together as a team and some of their young guns that were dominating out there on court. Yeah, well, they've got, you know, two quite uh, big stars up either end, don't they, in Melanie Potgita and Shim, uh, Shamira Sterling up the other end. Um, and... Maybe not as, although they, I mean, they do have a nice sprinkling of really great um, uh, experience through that midcourt, um, but also some really great youth coming through as well. Um, so that was really great to see. And the, and I know we were talking about it on Twitter all day on um, Saturday, but the goal attack for Thunderbirds, who had come on and she doesn't have a name on her back. And so I was watching it and I hadn't heard the commentators refer to her yet. So I was like, how am I going to find out who this girl is? And turns out it's Georgie Horges. And I don't think I'm going to forget that name too quickly because I just love seeing someone who's only young and she's a true South Australian. So it's great to see the Thunderbirds unearthing some of their own talent um, from Adelaide. Uh, and she, I just loved she, the way she fed Potgita, I thought was really impressive. Her calmness under pressure. She took a few super shots and nailed them. I just really love seeing how the rolling subs and are bringing these young players into the game. And now that we've got extended benches as well. What did mm. you think of seeing some young goal attacks out there? Yeah, I love that you talk about the Thunderbirds. And it was Sam Gooden the previous week who shot nine out of ten from the super uh, shot zone. Um, and so now they've brought Georgie Horges in as well, who was doing some great work. So they've got some really nice flexibility through their going end. Um, I, I guess for me, one of the things that has really stood out in the first two rounds um, is just this swathe of unearthing goal attacks, young goal attacks going through. <laughs> it's been so exciting to see round one um, Tipper Dwan was the name on everyone's yep. list because she did so well. And as I mentioned, Gooden Alice Teague Neild, and I know she's been in the system for quite some time now, but she is flourishing this year in this new role. We've got Gabby Simpson, Naya Allen was so impressive, both from the Magpies. Uh, you know, I could go on about these, Gabby these new players that were. <laughs> Gabby Sinclair. I thought I said said Gabby Sinclair. Maybe I mentioned someone else. But and the contrast of that is um, in the goal shooter position. And I know this is a discussion that we have quite a bit around uh, the imports who are coming into our league. If we look at the starting seven of each of the teams, Caitlin Bassett, the 
captain of the Australian Diamonds, was the only Australian goal shooter who started on court. Every other team started with an international goal shooter. Um, so that's an interesting one for me, and it's a piece I'm sure that when we do hear about the next Australian Diamonds coach when uh, that position is announced, um, I'm sure that that is something that they'll be looking at. You know, the, the stocks look really great in that goal attack position. I, I, I'm loving the exposure they're getting, but I don't know. There, there's something about that goal shooting position that, you know, we do still need to be giving our Australian athletes opportunities there if we can. And you talk about Caitlin Bassett being the only shooter out there and she wasn't out there for the whole game. The The super shot has mm. meant that a lot of players now aren't necessarily spending the whole game on court like we've seen in the past. Um, as a very proud Diamonds captain, Sherelle, does it worry you the position that we're in now in terms of the international game and how Australia are going to compete? Well, I don't know if it worries me as such. I mean, um, we, do, we, we do see Australian uh, goalers move through that position. We have done in, in the first couple of rounds. Um, but, yeah, in, in a way, I, I think that it's something that they'll have to address, that's for sure. I think, um, you know, being able to make sure that those players are confident and comfortable in that position will be really important given the fact that they're not getting that opportunity at that high level that we see at Suncorp Super Netball. Um, you know, Janelle Fowler is one. I mean, I, I quite enjoy watching Janelle Fowler. She is one, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the super shot because that's what we seem to do uh, as we all get our heads around it. She has been shooting some amazing long-range shots. I, I think out of everyone um, in the league, it has probably changed or given us exposure to the breadth of her skill more than anyone else. Yeah, it's great to see. Well, from my perspective, it would be very, very hard to play on Fowler now, even more so than before, because she's so damaging in the super shot range too. As a defender, you either want to force them in one area or force them in the other area, but the fact that she can dominate across all and if she gets her confidence up, it's, she's going to be so, so hard to stop. Um, another shooter that really stood out for me, and I'm sure everybody, she's, everyone's been talking about her, but was Sophie Garvin from the Swiss. And coming on and shooting, I think it was a 21 out of 23 in a quarter Shirelle. It is just <laughs> a huge performance from her in a game where they weren't looking like they were going to win it. Well, that's some good stats. I'm sure goalers would be happy everywhere if you had shot that <laughs> across the game, let alone in one quarter. So she has been another one that's, I mean, she has been coming over the last couple of seasons, but it's great to see her continue on that path. And, you know, Janelle Fowler nearly shot uh, the, fe the fever back into that game. It was, it was actually quite exciting um, seeing them come back in. Uh, the Swifts only won that third quarter. That was the only quarter they won. The Fever won the rest of the other three quarters. They were up by 15 across those other three quarters. So that is how dominant the Swifts were in that third quarter. And again, we were um, really lucky to watch just the skill that the Swifts have had in keeping control of that last minute of that game. Um, you know, it did get a little bit messy and I'm sure some people will be thinking they didn't actually really keep control when the ball kept going over the edge of the court. But... What they did in the end was that they worked that clock down, they kept the possession, shot the goal, and then there wasn't time for another goal for the Fever. So, you know, the Swifts just continue to show us how good they are at managing the clock and keeping possession of the ball when they need to. And we used to talk about that when we were playing around 
you are in teams that just know how to win sometimes. You know, when you've been able to do it, when you've been able to achieve what Swiss did last year, that experience and the fact that majority of their players have that experience, it counts for so much more than people realise. Yeah, it really does. That, that's exactly right. And um, being able to keep you cool in those moments because, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to change gears. If you've been attacking the post, I mean, and as they did, they shot 27 points in that third quarter. So, you know, to be able to change gears from just showering down uh, the goals to then be able to take that off again, it, it's a really good skill. Um, the other game and team that I thought was really interesting on the weekend and their approach around their game was the Sunshine Coast Lightning. Um, yes. We saw Steph Wood actually shoot the lights out in round one with her um, with her two-point shooting. Lightning had no two-point goals, no two points in the entire game. And even when they were down against the Magpies, they didn't seem to have a lot of interest in even taking the two points. They just kept chipping away at it with that one-point shot. So it's just so interesting seeing the contrasting um, tactics around how teams uh, are using this two-point shot, which, again, is part of the reason why it was brought in to, to try and create some of that point, those points of difference. What was going on with Steph Wood? I, you know, all of a sudden oh, she yes. wasn't playing and because they said her knee and then I really enjoyed, I know I enjoy it for the wrong reasons, but I really enjoyed Cara Conan <laughs> at halftime when Coxie, I think, was asking her, you know, what's going on? And she was very sheepish in her reply. Oh, no, she's fine. She's fine. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And then she comes on anyway. Um, I mean, she clearly wasn't at her best, so who knows what is actually going on. But um, from Cara Conan's point of view, she doesn't get a huge amount of court time. I want them to use her more because I think when you talk about Australian shooting stocks, she's surely one that is going to keep developing the more she gets out there and go into that diamond squad and hopefully have a huge impact at the international level as well. Am I putting too much pressure yes. on her? No, no. Let's. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I'm happy with... She's been in the system for a couple of years now as well and um, I think that she really started to blossom last year and, and I think she, she'll be consolidating that this year. She can run out in the goal attack um, position, but she works the circle back in goal shooter incredibly well. So she is absolutely a player that I'm, um, you know, I, I'm really excited about watching her and her development um, across the next little while. Um, you know, we talked so much, Bianca, about uh, the goalers and how they are approaching the two-point shot. And I know we spoke a little bit last week about um, how defenders will be approaching that, um, of the different tactics that they'll be using. And we even saw that play out over the weekend. Um, but you did have your eye on one thing in particular, which you quite like that has brought in for the defenders <laughs> with the super shot. Uh, I do. Oh, this is also a highlight. And it did start with that um, Thunderbirds-Giants game too. Finally, we are seeing the rejection of the shot back and a lot of defenders are attempting it and we always know Kate Shimon, she always does it. That's no, she's so part good of at her it. Game. Her, it all comes down to timing. It's such a crucial part of being able to do it. But the, also what probably people don't realise is when a shooter, and I'm going to use you as an example, Sherelle, so as a shooter, when you're closer to the post, you obviously lift the ball up a lot higher to try and get it up and over. Whereas when you're a little bit further out, the trajectory of the shot just drops slightly 
that we have more of a chance to be able to get our hand to the ball. And so I think now that shooters are being a little bit more risky, I wish they were a bit more risky, but a little bit more risky and attempting <laughs> super shots, that it gives defenders a bit more of a chance to actually have a go at the shot as it's left their hands rather than just our standing over, defending the shot, you're not allowed to intimidate, all of that. It kind of is quite restrictive as a defender. So I was loving seeing... <laughs> Shamira doing it. I was love seeing Kate Shimon do it. I saw Manua do it for Giants as well. And there were all players over the weekend, defenders just having a crack at the shot. And I just think it's going to add such a great dynamic to the game. Um, so shooters keep attempting those super shots. So defenders can keep having a crack at that ball. In the <laughs> and some of the teams, and I saw Lightning do this, were using the lift as well yes. um, to try and combat that. And, and I think probably... You know, it's quite difficult from range sometimes for defenders because you're not sure whether they're taking the shot or they're offloading. But there are times in the game in the within the two-point, the super shot um, zone that you know that they're going to take that shot. So you don't necessarily have to worry about the offload as much. So it kind of gives the defender a bit more certainty in being able to uh, attack that. Now, um, one person that has... Uh, had their hands all over these rule changes. Um, <laughs> the two-point shot in particular is Chris Simmington, who is the CEO of Super Netball. And we are very lucky, B, that we are going to be chatting to him after the break because I've got a lot of things, and I'm sure you do too, that we want to pick his <laughs> brains about, um, you know, it, all the teams are up in the hub at the moment, how that's going, how the how on earth are we actually playing a season? Because it feels felt like many times that we weren't going to. So he'll be a great chat after the break. Welcome back to the Inner Circle podcast. As I mentioned before the break, we are very lucky to be joined by the CEO of Super Netball, Chris Simmington. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you believe that we've actually got a season underway? Uh, oh, well, thanks for having me, Cheryl. Um, look, it's been a journey, I can tell you that. Um, but it was, you know, when I was sitting in hotel quarantine watching the the first round get underway, I've I got to admit it was a bit of a surreal feeling and um, there was, a, I got a bit emotional actually as well because uh, it's, it's been a tough ride and it was just good to see everyone back out on court and, and going again. So it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Well, we're going to talk to you a little bit about the challenges of, of getting the season going and, and how that all played out for you. But uh, you've been in quarantine. You've, you've just been released. You're in Brisbane. So um, tell us, how was the hotel room in Brisbane and what does it feel like now that you've burst free? Oh, look, it's great to be free, I've I, I got to admit. Um, <laughs> two weeks stuck in a hotel, uh, it's an interesting experience. Uh, we, we had a few staff that um, had to do the same thing. So we're, we're all out. We're all on the ground now ready to help out and pitch in and, and do what it takes to get the season going. But... Um, you, you you were let out for probably half an hour a day for a bit of a yard walk and um, felt, felt a bit like you're in prison at times. So you got your mask on and doing laps of a little courtyard to get some some outdoor and some sunshine. Uh, but other than that, it was um, it wasn't too different from what what's been happening over the last two months, which is me locked in a room on Zoom or on my computer. <laughs> yes, Chris, take us through. 
what it has been like the last few months because I think it's it's easy for all of us who are either fans of the game or former players to sit back and think what is going on and and you know make all these statements about what we're thinking about what's going on but can you take us through how difficult it may have been and and just all the tough challenges that you've had to really overcome yeah look I even as you're talking there I'm I'm reflecting on really the last five months where it all happened so quickly we were preparing for um team girls cup and uh Mm. the pre-season competition and and COVID really started to take off and we were contemplating whether we should postpone or whether we should cancel and then um, and then sort of Black Friday happened which was where everything just kind of changed for everyone and um, from that point going forward over the last five months it's been a really intense experience to be honest. Um, the, the number of challenges and obstacles that, that have been put in our way as a collective in terms of a league, but also everyone involved from the teams, the players, the broadcasters, the partners, the fans. Um, it's been incredibly challenging and it feels like every week, if not every day, there's been some kind of obstacle or hurdle been put in our way. So to be able to get the season up and running is incredibly satisfying, um, but also where acutely aware that we need to to keep it going as well and and finish it off. How close were we to not having a netball season this year? Uh, Look, I think there were a few moments where um, there were elements of doubt, uh, elements of this is is really hard, this is a big mountain to climb and, and, uh, you know, we we often get put in the same basket as... as, uh, the bigger professional codes, which is good because we, we that's our aspiration, that's where we want to be. But the reality for us at the moment is you know, our resourcing isn't quite there uh, so, and so it's a challenge for us to compete on that level. Uh, so there were a few moments where I felt, well, this is really this is really tough, this is really line ball and there's some, um, some decisions that are made at the government level that are completely out of your control and... Um, and it could have sent us down a different path, but we persisted, and and luckily we did. Yeah, and I kept watching what was going on. Obviously, I'm working with the Melbourne Vixens and saw firsthand how much things changed and how quickly they changed over that period of time when they were leading in into the hub. And I did not envy uh, you guys and trying to make the decisions and work your way through everything. Was there... Was there one thing that you kind of thought, well, this is it, this is going to be the thing that brings us undone and we can't get over it? Did you ever kind of reach that point? Uh, look, I think the the ongoing uncertainty around borders, it was really our biggest challenge. Um, mm. and, and I sort of allude to that, the resourcing element. Um, obviously, the football codes are, are able to kind of gear up and, and spend a lot of money on ensuring that they can move their teams around to whatever location they can, they, that, that's available at the time. Whereas for us, our initial strategy was around having a flexible fixture that did rely on the borders opening up for us and that we were able to travel yeah. freely between states. And so uh, like, you know, over the past few weeks, as the borders have gradually shut down even further, um, that posed a massive challenge for us. And to be able to pull off a 
partnership with the Queensland government to be able to bring everyone into Queensland was a massive coup to, to ensure that we're able to run a full season. Yeah, and... You know, watching all that play out, I was incredibly impressed, as I'm sure everyone was, that we've been able to get to this point. And the other thing I've been really impressed is uh, with is just the resilience of the clubs and the athletes and the support staff that sit around that and their ability just to go, well, you know what, you know, that's what we thought we were going to do, but now that's changed and we're just going to do it to get this um, season off the ground. So I, I think you, Chris, need to be, and your team need to be congratulated for, for the way you worked your way through that and everyone involved for, for getting this um, this competition off the ground. And now, of course, uh, everyone's up in the hub in Queensland. Um, what what are the biggest challenges there? You, because we all sit back and see some of the other um, leagues that are involved in a hub situation and there's been breaches on protocols. Do we think we're going to see the netballers doing that? How How's the hub working for you at the moment that you see? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously we've we've only been in it a couple of weeks now, but, uh, you know, the feedback I've been getting so far has been positive. Uh, I think everyone's everyone's happy with, with where they are. Obviously, Queensland's a nice place to be as well, so everyone's comfortable in their surroundings. I think what we're trying to do is stay in touch, uh, particularly through our um, wellbeing uh, networks and also our, our medical team, just to make sure that, first of all, everyone's happy and they're, they're comfortable where they are, but also they've got a clear understanding of what they can and can't do. Um, so that's something that we've been trying to, to stay on top of and, and just learn from the other codes as well. That's, uh, I guess, one advantage of of being a little bit later. We've been able to observe and watch the other codes have gone before us and try and put measures in place to avoid some of those uh, potential mistakes that have, that have happened there. So up until now, we're all good. I know the, um, the teams and the players are good at uh, surfacing questions when, they don't, uh, when they're not quite sure, and, and then we take that back to our medical team just to cross-check and make sure everybody's got the clear information on a regular basis. Chris, I, of course we can't get you on the potty without asking you about the new rules that have come in that have caused so much conversation everywhere and which I think has been quite a good thing in the media to see netball being spoken about in, in a different way and all the fans voicing their opinions. I want to know the process. What has happened in the background in the lead-up to, and let's focus on the super shot, in the lead-up to announcing the super shot? How much consultation has gone on? And um, can you just give us a bit of an insight into how that all took place? Yeah, sure, um, Bianca. Um, look, the, the super shot was, I mean, as you know, it's something that's been on the table for a while now. It's, it's been discussed and debated for, for years, really, and, and you two are probably know more than I would in terms of, of, of that, uh, its history and and how it's been utilised across Fast Five and, and um, charity matches. And the Commission really were looking for ways to uh, create a point of difference for the season this year, to look at ways that we can improve the product, obviously in a year that's extremely challenging uh, financially, but also in terms of competing for the eyeballs of, of fans and making sure that we're in a position not just to survive through COVID, but potentially thrive out the back of that. So that was the impetus for the Commission to um, to really look at the super shot and, and implement it for this year. Um, because of the 
the tight timeframes that were operating under uh, the consultation process was very brief and uh, also you know, the lead-in time that we utilised to, to talk to the playing group and to talk to the teams was not the usual process that we'd like to undertake. We'd like to do that over a longer period of time. But given the circumstances, um, we felt it was better to, to go with the rule change because we're really confident that it was going to provide value and, and as you said, some really great talking points for the season. So, and um, so once you announced it, what did you make of the players being quite vocal about you know, not being um, asked about it or not being in the conversation before it was announced? How have you gone about rebuilding those relationships with the players? Uh, I guess you just, you just have to get on the front foot and be open and honest about the fact that uh, we would have preferred to have a longer conversation about it, but unfortunately... We, we really didn't have the time to do that. But uh, Marina Go, who's the chair of our commission, and myself uh, made a point of uh, getting on a call with the, with the players, the Players Association and also the player delegates, and taking a bit more time to outline and explain why we made that decision and why we felt that was in the best interest for everyone, including the players. Because ultimately, the, the aim of the commission is to, is to grow the league and to make sure that... Um, we can put the right commercial streams around it so that everyone is getting paid what they should be getting paid and, and everyone recognises that it's a world-class league and, and increase the viewership. Chris, I've been meaning to ask you, the super shot, we know it's here, but why is that circle so big? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I think I put a statement out around that, just around, um, you know, we did a bit of analysis on the data around Fast Five and the 1.4 and just the risk versus reward of um, of actually taking the shot as well. And obviously we wanted to encourage people to, to actually use it, but also um, you know, some of the criticism was that, oh, the game's going to get messy, it's going to, it's going to be too inaccurate. Um, so we used the, the distance that Champion Data uses for their analysis of short and long shots. Okay. Um, so and, and so we're also able to sort of compare year on year in terms of the change in the game as well. So there's a few different factors to why we did that. Um, but yeah, the, 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 those are the things that we'll review at the end of the year as well and see whether we got it right or not. Uh, Chris, I, I'm going to uh, keep on with this point too because I think it's been um, – I've loved the discussion that these rule changes have, have created. I, I think that, you know, we're seeing much more uh, in-depth analysis of what's going on and discussion, differences of opinion. So I think that that um, is is really great and obviously that's that's one part of um, why the, the rule changes have been brought in. Um, one of the questions that keeps coming up and, and one that I've got too is – and we spoke to Marina go about this uh, when we spoke to her last year on the podcast is around um, you know you, you're talking about it's the responsibility of the commission to grow the league and make it really commercially viable we've we've known the national league in past to be a development ground for our athletes and a selection ground for the Australian diamonds and just wondering about that balance and and how you see that because I think probably in the past there's been a bit more of an emphasis on making sure we're developing our players and they have the opportunities to represent um, this country at the highest level. So 
I don't know if you can give us a percentage, um, may have been 50-50 in the past. I would think that it's leaning more towards the commercial side of it, but how is it a consideration or do you just go, we are making this the biggest, best, most commercially viable league that we can and not worry about the development aspect of it? I think, um, look, that that is our primary objective uh, and that was why the commission was established as well. So uh, it, that is the objective of, of the commission and the league is to is to grow the sport and and in a perfect world the um, the revenues that would come through the league would also flow back to development which would mean the growth of our pathways and and those that are coming through to represent uh, at a national level so that's the ideal state um, that we absolutely take into consideration. Um, the Diamonds and also the Australian program because uh, Netball Australia is our key stakeholder and, and owner of the competition as well. So we, we definitely keep that in mind when we're making rule changes. Uh, but we also need to consider that we're not, we're not going to know the impact of these rule changes until we actually implement them and try them. So um, there's obviously a lot of speculation around how rule changes may potentially impact uh, the way in which we play and the way it might influence international competition. Uh, but we'll never actually know until we try. And I think that was one of the one of the key factors in, in getting something like the super shot over the line too because it had been spoken about for so long. Um, but we never really know unless we implemented it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it certainly will. And and obviously we've got the, the timeouts, uh, the substitution rule and the super shot rule. They're the three major ones that are different to the international game that we see in Suncorp Super Netball. Um, how did you assess the risk? I mean, we, we speak quite a lot about, or I love the international players in, in our league. I think that that's great. And I'm wondering how you assess the risk of those international players and other countries um, looking at the game that we're playing in our league going, well, that's so different to what we're doing at the international level. We're not actually going to go and play in that league anymore. How, how did you assess the risk of us not attracting the best international players because of this rule change? Uh, look, I think something that was that was considered and, and looked at, um, we felt that if we're continuing to grow the league and make it the most appealing and uh, best standard competition in the world, but also has the uh, the best um, remuneration and the best conditions for athletes, that ultimately uh, that'll be the driving factor for athletes to want to be part of the competition, and that includes international athletes as well. So we felt like if we're creating this rule change to grow the league and to grow viewership, that's going to benefit everyone, um, then ultimately that will mean that they'll want to be part of the competition ongoing as well. Fascinating insight. I would love to talk to you about, um, before I get to what, adding some new rules in for defenders, um, <laughs> I want to talk to you about yes. how the commission is, is set up. Um, is there, are you, do you feel like you need someone on there that's purely uh, for the technical part of the game, a netball specialist as such, or are you happy with the mix of who's on there at the moment? Yeah, I think we've got a, a, a good mix. I mean, obviously, it's it's new. The commission's quite new, so there's 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 always ways that you can develop and change. I mean, from a technical point of view, we do have a competition committee that uh, essentially provides recommendations to the commission. Um, 
which I think, Sherelle, you've been a part of before as well when it was in a previous version. Um, and that's, that's usually where we uh, get the technical input and, um, and that's made up mostly of the stakeholders within the teams uh, at different levels, so players, coaches, high-performance managers, CEOs, uh, and umpires as well um, get invited into that group. So uh, that's where we get the technical input and then ultimately they provide recommendations up to the Commission. Um, but you can always look at the balance. Uh, every board changes and shifts over the years and, and um, you attempt to get the right balance at the right time. So I think we've got a good balance at the moment. Um, if we need a bit more of a netball focus, um, we'll sort of take that feedback from our stakeholders and see whether we that requires any change at all. Yeah, and I've been... I thought that I saw something really positive around the ratings and who our eyeballs watching either Telstra TV Gains or Channel 9, and I, I've got no doubt that that piece of the puzzle was really tricky to work through when you've got such a changing, um, you know, time and schedule uh, with the broadcaster, who's such a huge partner for netball. Um, is that true? Have we got some good numbers? I mean, I know we're not a, we can't go and watch live, so you would expect that those numbers are good, but I, I thought I did see something to say that our Telstra TV numbers have been really, really positive initially. Yeah, look, we've obviously got the... Um two rounds of data now, so um, we'll know more as we get further into the season, but uh, you know, the Telstra numbers are, are going great. I mean, the streaming numbers over the past few years have, have grown significantly, you know, sort of double-digit growth over the last few years, so it's great to see that our fans are really engaging with the Netball Live app and, and um, coming on the journey in terms of streaming those matches. And uh, we also were up, I think it was 16% um, round on round for the for round two from a free-to-air audience point of view as well. So a really great start. Um, good to get an extra game on nine on the weekends and then we'll we'll have the Telstra games yeah. midweek, which will start tonight. So that'll be a really good uh, indicator for us as well on how those matches will go during the week. Well, I know I'm certainly enjoying watching because there's not much to do in Victoria at the moment. So having the netball on all weekend and during the week is pretty awesome, I've got to say. Um, Chris, just last one from me. Uh, you've you've come from a totally different background. You've come from surfing, which would be a pretty cool uh, sport to work within. What have you learned the most about netball since um, coming across to netball? Uh, yeah, interesting question. Um, Oh, to be honest, I, I've played netball a lot throughout my life. Um, really? I did not know, know that. There you go. Yeah, I, I was a shooter. What position? So, oh, yeah, um, too. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Sorry, Bianca. Um, Were you a good two-point specialist? Were you a good yeah. super shot specialist? Yeah, yeah. long bomber. Uh, and Chris, you never apologise to the defenders. Never apologise to the defenders. <laughs> just you, just go. You go with it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, you know, have a have an affinity with netball. But yes, I, I spent uh, about eight years working for Surfing Australia, and and I, I guess one of the things I've learnt coming to netball, which um, uh, the the players and the and the um, are just such great role models and. It was the same in surfing, actually, and you know the the men were great, but the but the women like um, you know Steph Gilmore, Sally Fitzgibbon, they're such great ambassadors for the sport. And it was the same coming across to netball as well. I mean, I really believe in 
the the power of great role models, and I think we've got that in spades in netball, um, having met the players and, and interacted with them a lot more over the last couple of years since I've taken on this role. They're just such well-rounded humans and great people, and uh, I guess that's what drives me in this role in terms of making sure that people realise that and understand that because it doesn't get talked about enough. So um, that's probably the main thing, I think, coming into the sport and meeting the playing group and, and just seeing uh, how fantastic they are and how committed they are to the sport is um, is a great thing and really holds the sport in good stead. Yeah, and while there's uh, some difference of opinions around the place in different areas in netball at the moment, I think that is one thing that we can all agree on, how great uh, the athletes are as role models and as represent uh, representatives of the, this great sport. Chris, we're going to let you go because I'm sure you've got a thousand Zoom meetings that you have to jump onto today. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing... Um, you know, the rest of the fixture still hasn't been released. I'm sure you're still frantically working and trying to get some certainty around that. So we're looking forward to that being announced um, really shortly. And, of course, as you mentioned, there's games on uh, midweek and on the weekend. So we'll be having our netball fill. Um, it was so great to get your insight into a few of those different areas. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the freedom from quarantine. <laughs> No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks, Bianca. So there you have it. That was Chris Simmington joining us from Super Netball and from Hub Life up in Queensland. Interesting to hear that B, he's been in quarantine for the last couple of weeks, as a couple of his staff members have, um, so that they can get up there and get this netball season done. Interesting to hear he was a shooter too, Sherelle, actually. <laughs> yes, no, I like that. <laughs> great to hear his honesty. Um, I really, I just appreciate him coming on and t talking about it with us. And, you know, I, I, I understand he's got a lot of challenges, but I also, I do enjoy that there are some risks being taken um, to try and enhance the game as an entertainment product. Not necessarily, you know, as the rules and everything that's going on, but... Um, I do I do like that there is some risks that are willing to be taken. Well, that's right. And, you know, if we look at, at netball over the journey, um, possibly being a slightly risk-averse in terms of, you know, creating yeah. controversy and making big decisions. So I absolutely applaud them for, for what they've been able to bring to life, um, at least initially in this first part of this season. Um, now, B, we've got possibly a couple of big uh, milestone games coming up, which is always exciting to watch uh, players and the players that we love um, achieving some of these things. That's right. And some of these players have been around for a long time now. now these games are either <laughs> happening because we've got midweek games and weekend games. They'll be happening somewhere within the next week. Um, April Branley, Kate Maloney, Paige Hadley will all reach their 100 games. <laughs> Caitlin Bassett, 200 games. And I do need to mention, because I know we do have a lot of people listening from across the ditch in New Zealand, uh, Katrina Rore, who is a friend of the Inner Circle podcast. We spoke to her uh, at the end of last year. She achieved 200 National League games on the weekend. So a huge congratulations to her because there's only been two others who have done that, the legendary Laura Langman and Liana DeBrain as well. So huge congratulations to our mate Katrina. Um, and, yeah, well done. So as I said, it's always great to celebrate these milestone matches.
Yes, and apologies if I've got Jeevas all wrong, uh, but we'll find that out. We'll do our actual <laughs> fact-checking because I just, I'm not sure. Anyway, carry on. We, we might go back over that next week, B, just to make sure we uh, know exactly, exactly yeah, what was going on. So uh, we are going in now to our midweek games. As we mentioned before, we've got games on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Then we'll have games Saturday, Sunday, and likely that that will continue to roll on over the next couple of weeks. Very interesting to see how all the teams cope with that, how they manage the load, how they use their subs from the bench, their rolling subs, and how many more new uh, young Australian uh, talent we are going to unearth. I'm really looking forward to that, Bea. Can't wait. Um, it's netball every single night. Enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another <laughs> potty for you to wrap up everything else that's going on. Okay, see you then. Thanks, guys. Bye.